This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. What is up, Detroit? You are back with another episode of the First Lady Show here on Detroit Sports Podcast. And I am so glad to be joined by my friend, Crystal. She is here to rock the house. We actually met on Twitter about two years ago now, I want to say. Two years, yeah. Two years ago, yeah. And I was in Arizona at the time, but I'm back here in Detroit, and we finally got to meet up to go to our first Tigers game together. We had some Red Wings memories that we made, and now she's here to talk a little bit of Red Wings and Tigers with me here today. Crystal, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I was just going to say, you were in Arizona, and I was in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And now we're back. We're back in the D together. So tell everybody who's listening a little bit about yourself and why you're here today. Well, I'm here today because obviously, like Jenna, I have a love of sports and a love of Detroit. And when the two come together, it is just absolutely magical and so euphoric. And that's what brings us together. And you knew that I was big into hockey, love my Red Wings, love hockey. And I actually also write on the side for the website Thrillist, which is a men's lifestyle magazine, digital magazine. So a little sex, a little dating. little sex and a little dating from the woman's perspective for them. Um, it's a great website. They do a lot of top times. They give a lot of Michigan love, a lot of Detroit love. And you work a lot with hockey as well, correct? I do. I, um, I've worked as an in-game hostess. I've worked as assistant to the game day, director of game day operations. I've worked pretty much everything you can think of other than coaching and playing. And a hockey writer at that yes. too. So <laughs> if you need your Detroit hockey insight, this is your girl. Where can they follow you on Twitter? It's tough because my name is spelled very awkward. Thanks, parents. Um, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E-H-O-L-L-E-M-A-N, Crystal Holloman, Twitter. That's how you can find me. Awesome. I'm really excited because, like I had mentioned, you and I actually met initially at a Tigers game. We were going to go together with my mm-hmm. parents. We went to go pregame at Shelly's at the bar. And Chris Chelios himself of the Red Wings was there, and he invited us over to the table. We had some shots of tequila, but I got to see your love for baseball, too, which is part of why I brought you in today, because I had sort of an interesting thing happen on my social media this week, because one of the beat writers for the Tigers, he and I actually got into a little bit of a beef on social media, because when I saw this Anthony Ghost story that came out, and I'll backtrack a little bit, if you're not familiar with that, he was caught mouthing off basically to management within the dugouts within the clubhouse and he got dropped down rightfully so in my opinion yes because (laughs) i believe that this is a bigger issue this is not just somebody had a little bit of a verbal altercation this is a bigger issue potentially for the league and so when i reached out to said beat writer i asked him when do we ask the teams when do we ask the front office where to draw the line. And the reason that I asked this question was because from a back standpoint, I want to know what all of the fans probably want to know, which is, is this guy actually going to work his way back up to the Tigers, the top of the tier, like they're hoping that he will, that he'll get his attitude in check, he'll get his playability back in check, and we can actually see him back on the field because he was at the season opener. He was playing for the Tigers. Now we've got him all the way down. Gosh, because he was mouthing off to the front office. So I guess I guess my question then here is, do we have to draw a parallel with leagues like the NFL, who we're seeing now Roger Goodell stepping in and making sanctions and having to say enough is enough and cutting players out completely? Should the MLB step in? Should 
the management of the team step in and say no more over a situation like this? Or should we give him time to bring his attitude back in check? You're an adult. That's my bottom line. You're an adult. You need to be respectful. This is a character issue. You're a brat. You're a spoiled little brat who likes to mouth off to your boss. And if that was any other job, you would be fired. Which to me, the minute he starts showing disrespect, which was mouthing off to management in front office, that's when you have to look at it and say, you know what? You need either an attitude adjustment, so we'll give you a chance to do it because maybe your head got a little bit too big when you made it up to the big leagues. It happens. It happens in every sport and every level. But you need to go. I mean, shut up. You're an adult. Do your job. That's what we are paying you to do is do your job. And now your teammates aren't going to have respect for you. And that was my gut reaction, too. And I think that I'm a little bit more biased just because of all the reporting that I had to do within the things that happened in the NFL. So, you know, when this writer kind of put me down and was trying to put me in my place and saying, you're overreacting here. Is this probably his last chance? Yes. But he couldn't give me a solid answer as to where fans should draw a line for what they expect, where management should draw a line as to what we expect. And I'll play devil's advocate and say, you know, I've been hot-headed at times where I've lost my control of my temper. I've maybe said things that I regretted and I appreciated that people gave me a second chance. But I have to draw a parallel with the NFL, in my opinion. And my reason for that is because the MLB's record for domestic violence is significantly worse than the NFL. And I understand, before anybody wants to hound me on this, that this is a stretch. We had a guy who was mouthing off to coaches, and now I'm drawing parallels with domestic violence in the NFL. But follow with me here. All of these cases within the NFL resulted from smaller altercations in the beginning that ended up blowing into something bigger. So my question is, should we worry when these little instances arise that it's going to blow up into something bigger? Should we wait for maybe a second instance, a third instance? Should we wait until there actually is legal repercussions for somebody blowing their heads? Or should we just go ahead and let the league decide altogether? Do we let the legal system decide altogether? I'm not sure what the answer is. But when I look at all these complete instances of the Tampa Bay Rays, who were happy to let a convicted sex offender pitch for them until he became ineffective, not when he had legal issues on his case, not when he was a registered sex offender. It was when he no longer became an effective pitcher. That's when the Tampa Bay Rays pulled him off. We had the twins with Kirby Puckett, who allegedly strangled his wife with a phone cord and was charged with sexually assaulting a waitress in a bathroom. He was acquitted of those charges. He was allowed to play. I mean, there are so many instances within Major League Baseball where they just completely turned a blind side, where Major League Baseball did not step in and make a move. And it's just interesting to me because at no time did Bud Selig step in and say, you're out of the league. He left a decision to the teams themselves. The team said, we're leaving the decision to the judicial system itself. If you want to arrest this guy, make him unable to play, we'll pull him. But there have been zero documented instances where Major League Baseball has stepped in and said, you cannot play for us anymore. So, Crystal, you're saying that, you know, as a player, someone is an adult. We're expecting to hold you to a higher standard as an adult, as a professional athlete, and say, one and done? I think... Like I said, when you are young and this is your first chance, at your first shot at the big leagues, your head can get so big. You see this a lot with like the college players that go on to the NBA. They Their heads get so big and they think they're above the law and they think that they can do whatever they want and they won't get in trouble because they're an athlete. I think what you need to do is when this, these, all these little things that were happening in the first, second, third instances, those are what we call red flags. 
And at the very least, take note of it. At the very least, recognize that it happened. Let that player know, hey, we have our eye on you. You know, you cannot do this. This is how much money you're getting. Basically, because of us fans that are paying to see you play, we think you need to be held to a higher standard. Don't act. Don't do it again. Don't act up again. If he continues to do it, your red flags mean something now. They're not just flags. Those are actual warning signs. That means this could be an issue. This could get to something much, much higher to where the judicial system is involved. And of course, you always have to remember with the domestic violence stuff, with the sexual assaults of a waitress and the strangling of a wife, there's lots of women out there that unfortunately do lie about it. Cry wolf. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that because of the cases that we've seen within the NFL most recently and the attention that these females are gaining... I can see both sides of it. I know I talked a lot about it in Phoenix, but I want to talk about it here in Detroit as well. I'm comfortable saying that I'm a victim of both domestic violence and sexual assault. And as someone in those positions in my life, you would probably expect me to automatically side with the women. 99% of the time, I side with the men and I fully believe that you are innocent until proven guilty because I also myself have seen friends of mine have sex with a man, decide that that was a mistake and cry rape. And that is completely unacceptable. And now when we're giving these women monetary benefits, publicity benefits, of course there are going to be women trying to ride these coattails and making something out of nothing. But to kind of reel it back a little bit, so do you think then, you said that there should be, you know, there should be warnings and there should be people who are stepping in and giving you a little bit of a reprimand and things like that. Do you think they handled this Anthony Ghost situation properly by optioning him down, by bringing up Alex Presley instead, and this is going to be a good lesson learned for him? Or do you think that this is going to be something that needs to be taken a step further? I think if he continues, then absolutely it needs to be taken a step further. But I think just now with the publicity that it's getting, because every fan every, anymore, whether you're in a ballpark in a neighborhood, somebody's going to have a phone. Somebody's going to notice what you said to that coach, that manager, even if you're not on the Sunday night baseball. Somebody's going to see that you did this. You're never going to be able to hide it anymore. The minute you don't take that warning seriously and you continue to act the same way or, heaven forbid, worse is the minute that, no, you're done. You have, you're have you obviously not cut out for this life. You're not cut out for this stress. You're not cut out for this. By all means, we're not going to pay you to do this. That's the bottom line. No, and I agree with you. And I have to say, based on the way that I brought in this segment, it was a little bit misleading, but I do think that they did the right thing in this situation. I think that especially based on just some of the the very short stories that I shared with you on things that have happened in Major League Baseball in the past and how little was done about them, for them to so quickly say, you're moving yourself down, we're not dealing with this crap anymore get yourself straight or you're not going to play for this organization is basically what they did. And I commend them for that. But at at the next step, then I say, this works for now. If this happened again, do I think that they should just cut them all together? I don't know. That's what's so tricky about these instances. And that's right. what's so unfortunate about the way that you have to step in because we saw it within the NFL. We saw it where you could You could beat your wife up in an elevator and receive a certain penalty, and you can smoke some marijuana and receive a certain penalty. And how would you weigh the two? It's like it's it's a murky it's a murky situation. And then you have to ask yourself, where does the league have to step in? Where does the law have to step in? How do I coincide my punishment with the law? And so I don't know the answer to that. I would love to know the answer from the Tigers as to what they plan to 
accept and not accept in the future from Anthony Ghost and from other players? Is it something that's just a verbal altercation, a one, two, three step warning, three strikes, you're out? No pun intended. Does it have to be where, okay, you have the three strike system for a verbal altercation, but how about a physical altercation? How about a domestic violence situation? How about a sexual assault situation? Do you think then, Crystal, that there should be a set guideline book, almost like a legal law system for each league, for each team that says, if you do X, Y will happen. If you do A, B will happen. Or do you think this should just be a case-by-case basis? I think every league, every other four major leagues in America need to look at each other and be like, how are we handling this? Because every little kid is looking up to these players and saying, I could be that one day. And like you said, it's going to go from a verbal altercation to a physical, to domestic, to sexual. Like That's how it's going to go if you don't stop it right away. I agree with you that I do think that they did the right thing because comparing an assault in an elevator to an argument between two grown men, you can't exactly parallel that. Not but even close. There is a connection between the two. It will They will be connected in some way or another. Now, as far as the legal system and a guideline? Absolutely. I mean, you're hearing this more and more, and especially with social media, with the quote unquote victims being basically made to modern day reality stars by having their name put out there and all of their complaints and claims on social media. You have to say, look, we need to find a way to do this and say, this is what's going to happen if this altercation happens. And you can't have the NBA getting away with it. And yet NFL and Roger Goodell saying absolutely not. I mean, you have to all come together and say, we as paid athletes, we cannot do this. And so then here's here's the next piece of this puzzle that I haven't mentioned yet. And I just want to quickly get your take on this as well. So after his three day suspension and he was optioned down to double A Erie, they asked him to come play at the next game and he was a no call, no show. So now we have a verbal altercation under his belt. Now we have a guy who wants to try to sock it to his team and say, oh, you're going to put me down here? I'm not showing up. So do we consider this now a strike two or a continuation of strike one against Anthony Ghost in this particular situation? To me, that's a silent yet verbal altercation. Yes. I mean, every by not showing up, you are actually saying so much. Every job I've ever had, I don't know about you, but every job I've ever had, if it was a no-call, no-show, you were you were lucky if you got a second chance. Like, you don't come to work. What? I'm sorry, what are we paying you for? No, absolutely. Like, I completely agree with you. You can't do your job at home. Like, some people are very lucky. They can do their job at home. I can't. You can't. Anthony Ghost can't. We pay you to show up and play baseball. And if you can't do that, I'm pretty sure there's at least a couple of kids that are willing to take your spot for a heck of a lot cheaper. And I know that there's going to be people who are apologetic because of his age at 25 years old. I'm sitting here at 24 years old and can say, from day one, I was expected to show up to my job. And I will be completely open and honest about this because my boss from back in that day is probably listening right now. I had a job when I was 13 years old, old working at my local Dairy Queen. And I worked there for a summer. I was bullied beyond belief. I had asked my boss for help. I was given no help. So it came to a point to where a girl cornered me and made me feel so uncomfortable that I was in tears. I'm 13. I can't drive myself home. So I called my mom from the bathroom and I said to my mom, please come get me. They're letting me go home early. My shift is done. They don't need the extra help. So my mom pulled up happy and joyful. I grabbed my stuff. I sprinted out the door and I never looked back. I walked out on my job. I was a 13-year-old girl, okay? 
We're talking about now a 25-year-old man who has worked his way up to Major League Baseball, and I feel like age is no longer an excuse. If I can sit here at 24 and talk about how I'm disappointed in his maturity, then I think that it's safe to say that he's accountable for his own actions. So to apologize for him and say he's young, he's new, he's got these growing pains, I say no. I say there's no excuse. If you want to have that attitude, you can stay down in the minor leagues. You can hang out down there. If you still can't work it out down there, we're done. Absolutely. I mean, if that's how your character is, that's the highest you go. People with good character move up quite well in baseball, in hockey, in football, and in basketball. That's what really works for you as an athlete is your character. And his is horrible. His is the character on Game of Thrones that you want to not show up again. All right. It sounds like we've got somebody out on the hotline. Who we got? I'm right here. This is Jenna with the First Lady Podcast. Who am I talking to? You're speaking to the snowman coming to you live from Indiana. Snowman, how are we doing today? What's up, man? First of all, love your podcast. Thank you. Second of all, you're absolutely right about sports and character being one and the same. People need to grow when they get a chance, when they get called up to the big show, no matter what what league it is or what sport it is. They need to be ready to perform, and they need to have the mental capacity and the mental attitude to do what they need to do, period. So do you think in this instance of Anthony Ghost where, you know, he gets into this verbal altercation with someone from a triple A team, a, a coach of a triple A team, and is then excused down to to be demoted, basically, and then decides to not show up for a game? Do you think that this punishment was enough or that he still is kind of having an attitude problem and we're going to have to continue to deal with this? Hell no, that's not enough. If he's going to have that kind of attitude, kick him off the team, period, until he learns to grow a set. Until he learns that you can't just have your own way, especially when you're trying to help a team, and that's the key word here, Mm -hmm. team, then you deserve no break. End of story. Bosham Beckler said it best. No man is bigger than the team. No coach is bigger than the team. Period. I love that. I absolutely love that. And you rocked it to my boy, Bo. I appreciate that. So I actually have another question for you then. If you have to wind it back then, do you think that each individual team should have a set protocol for situations like this with verbal altercations, with domestic altercations, with sexual assaults that are already set in stone? I will stop your question and I'll (laughs) answer that right now. Yes. Every team should have a policy. You know what? Let me put it another way. No tolerance. Period. Period. No tolerance. Either you, co- either you show up, do what you need to do, and learn what you need to learn, and be a part of the team, or you get no spot. End of story. It's kind of ba- and I'm old school to my heart, and it's kind of basic. When you get a chance to perform or be a part of a team, you're a part of a team. There's no individuals allowed, which is why I can't stand the NBA in its current format. It's more about individuals than about the team. And teams like the Golden State Warriors, the San Antonio Spurs, will always get shunned in this day and age because they play as a team. There's no egos in in those kind of situations. So no ego, no ego is allowed on the team. No kind of division is allowed within the team. And if you have any kind of problems and you can't check your ego at the door, there's the door. Go through it. I wish you could see the (laughs) smile on my face right now. This is awesome. I'm actually going to take it a little bit over to the NBA, if you don't mind me really quickly. I was just having this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine for an interview as well. And he asked me about how I feel about the current state of the NBA. And I said a very specific era of basketball I wish we could go back to. So since you're not impressed with the current state of the league, the bad boys. Let me put it this way. 
When I do my show, Snowman in the Morning, I often reference the golden era of the NBA. Now, I know I'm going to date myself here, but I started watching the NBA in 1980. And there's a fellow named Magic Johnson who was finals MVP as a rookie, the only one to have done so. You know how many Hall of Famers came through that era, 1979 to 1998, which includes Joe Dumars, which includes Isaiah Thomas, which includes Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, players like that that were a part of a team. Oh, did I go there again? A lot of people get mad at me when I say that. When this current state of the NBA, and I'm going to say that, I'm going to say an opinion that's going to make a lot of people angry that are listening to you, but I want them to listen carefully. In the golden era, teams earned their championships. They were not handed to them. They went all out. If a series went a full seven games in its natural format, then it went seven games in its natural format. Does 1988 come to mind? Pistons and Lakers and how great that series was? I'm cheesing like a fool. Anytime the Lakers and the Celtics, the Lakers and the Celtics got together, you don't even have to ask how that came out. But let, me go a little, let me go a little bit further. When I was introduced to the bad boys, anytime the Pistons and the Bulls got together, I stopped whatever the hell I was doing and was glued to the television with the radio call behind me. And you know why? Because guys went out there on the court and they gave it their all. There was blood, there was sweat, there was tears. You could see the passion. You could see the passion behind the game, and that's why I watch basketball. I had the pleasure uh, two years ago of meeting Bill Lambeer when he was coach of the New York uh, Liberty when I covered the WNBA. Sweetest guy ever off the court. But here's what people don't understand about that golden era. When it was time to put the shoes on, and it was time to go to war in between the lines, you went to war in between the lines. You had teams that you hated, you had teams that you loved, you had teams that you paid attention to. You don't have that on Moss anymore. The last great rivalry was 2002, the Lakers and the Kings, and that's because those teams hated each other. Hell, how many times did we see team, did we see players from the Pistons and the Bulls go flying across the court because they were trying to get the ball and get their team ready? How many times did Michael Jordan have to take a beat down before he and the Bulls and Phil Jackson finally figured out the bad boy scheme. When you have teams like that that grow into their roles, that grow into their position, that grow into the teams that made them legendary, like the bad boys of the 80s, took a beating from the Celtics on two occasions, finally figured them out in 88, lost to the Lakers. A year later, defeated the Lakers in, in a sweep, beat the Blazers in five. Along the way, Bulls, uh, beat the Bulls in the East Finals, 89-6 games, 97 games. Then the Bulls figured out the Pistons and figured out their tactics. They win three straight titles. Snowman. You don't have that anymore in the NBA. I am so glad that you called in today. Can I just thank you really quickly for calling in? Because you talked on my baseball team, you talked on my basketball team, and I am grinning like a fool. <laughs> so before I get you out of here, I want you to be able to pimp yourself out on our social media, okay? Where can people follow you and hear your stuff? Uh, they can fear, uh, they can follow me at Golden Voice Snow and at Arena Sportsnet. Uh, that's my network. And uh, they can follow me at SIT Morning. That's Snowman in the Morning. I'm on Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. Eastern. Snowman, we will be in touch. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We, Crystal, have a lot to talk about with Red Wings coming up next. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the moves that the Red Wings have made, some exciting things coming up for the team. And we're going to talk a little bit of sex and dating, too, when we come back. Guys, listen up, okay? I know it's summertime, the temps are just getting hotter, but you know what's not hot? Pit stains. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Sweating through the underarms of your shirt can be embarrassing, but Lawrence Hunt has the perfect solution. 
Their dress shirts for men are not only really sharp looking fellas, but they actually wick away moisture, leaving you and your armpits dry. Best of all, they're designed here in Detroit. So leave the office and go straight to the ball game without worrying about showing off that hard-earned pit sweat while you cheer for your Tigers. I mean, hey, if our catcher James McCann's rocking them, you should too. Use promo code DSP for 15% off today. Just head over to lhwear.com. That's L-H-W-E-A-R.com. Lawrence Hunt Fashion. Breathable, sweatproof performance. You are back with the First Lady Podcast. I'm Jenna Jones, and I am joined by the lovely Crystal Holloman. Crystal, thanks for joining us one more time. Absolutely. So I kind of want to do a pulse check here. Um, I've got to be really honest. As far as Detroit sports goes, I hate to break it to you, but the Red Wings just have never been a forte of mine. And I only say that because I didn't grow up a hockey fan. I've developed this love and this passion for the team living in Detroit now as an older adult, as well as going to the games and getting a little bit of more of a an actual understanding of what's happening on the ice. Because for a beginner, it's absolutely insane to try to learn all the oh, ins and outs. But I've got you now here to kind of help pull me in. So to start this segment out, I really want to just get a pulse check of what's happening with the organization, where things are headed right now, kind of just an overcap of where things are here in the offseason so far. Well, my Red Wings are your Tigers and your Tigers are my Red Wings. <laughs> Basically, I didn't grow up a baseball fan. I grew up a hockey fan. So we are the yin to the yang of each other. I love it. But obviously, the biggest news for the Red Wings was Datsuk Levy. That was we all knew it was coming eventually. But to actually have it happen was just a little bit hard to handle, hard to deal with, because we never really wanted to prepare ourselves for what was going to happen, which unfortunately is something that we had to do, but didn't. So training camps are going off good. Baby Burt, Tyler Bertuzzi, is becoming a viral sensation with his amazing moves up in Traverse City. But even with all of that, we don't know who is going to fill the void that Pavel left. And we're not going to know by the home opener. We're not going to know by preseason. We're not going to know probably halfway into the season. That's when we really feel the void that Pavel Datsuk will leave our team. So if you had to go ahead and I mean, you don't have to answer specifically with one individual player, but if you had the perfect idea or vision for a player that you could create in your mind to try to replace Datsuk, who would you want on this team? I would want a combination of probably four of our current players. I would want a combination of Gustav Nyquist. I would want a combination of this new kid, Nielsen. Not a kid. He's 32. He's my age, for crying out loud. Um, I would want Shehan. Shehan. He's really stepped his game up lately. I think he really wants to prove to, him, prove to himself and the fans that he is a good player for the Red Wings. And I would want Tatar to really solidify himself and make sure that you know he's here for the right reasons. He's here for a long term. That's the biggest thing with the Red Wings, too, is we want somebody that's going to be here for a long time. And so that with with that in mind, then we now also have to pick a second alternate captain. We do. So where do we start with that? <laughs> I would say um, the obvious choice from what I'm hearing for, from some of my hockey sources and a lot of people is Abdulkader. He was an alternate captain at Michigan State. He is Michigan boy. He's fairly young. He's 29. Um, he just turned 29 earlier this year. He is a good candidate, but you have to remember what the role of the alternate captain is. Captains and alternate captains are the only ones that can talk to the officials on the ice. 
Abby, I don't know if anybody else notices this, and maybe it's because he's a Spartan, but he's a little bit of a hothead. If anybody remembers the end of game two against Tampa Bay in the most recent playoffs, he can lose his cool very easily. You want that because it shows passion. You want that because it shows commitment and it shows that Detroit grit, but you also want somebody who can remain calm like Datsuk could. Do you think that his recent, like, public speaking opportunities that he's had recently, because I know he's been speaking a lot with media after the games and practices that this is a good practice for him to be able to carry himself in that situation. I think he is getting better. I think that the Red Wings organization is most likely grooming him for this opportunity. Um, You know, other than Abby, the next guy that has been coming up a lot, which I don't agree with, is Larkin. I mean, believe it or not, he only has a couple more weeks of being a teenager. He's going to be 20 at the end of this month. And he is still too young, I feel, to take on this role. Whereas Abby, being 29, I think he's given a lot to the team already. He's a fan favorite by far, a huge fan favorite. And I think that Larkin will eventually be an alternate captain, if not captain, at some point in his tenure with the Red Wings. But for now, I'm really looking towards Abdulkader to be the next Red Wing. And if they are grooming him for this, I think it's a good choice. So that said, I mean, I know that Larkin is going into his second season. He is young. What kind of timeline would you see to be able to have him have a letter on his jersey? I would say well before he's 30, obviously. I would say maybe even within the next five years. Wow. I do. That's impressive. I do. So that being said, we we kind of have our alternate caption, caption, captain <laughs> opportunities that are kind of coming into light here. We've got all kinds of moves being made, though, too. Is that correct? I mean, I'm seeing that there was a, a little bit of a re-signing that may have happened within our team. That is true. Um, Luke Glendening, who I still believe has one of the greatest stories in recent hockey memory. I mean, he was a walk-on at Michigan, made his way up to captain. He was a free agent going into the Red Wings. He's from Grand Rapids. He's local. I mean, this kid's story is incredible, and he's such a nice guy, and he's a damn good player for crying out loud. So we got him for four more years. Unfortunately, that creates a huge logjam at our forwards. We are so overloaded with forwards. We don't even know what to do with ourselves. And yet we only have maybe a couple of superstars on defense and one of them being DeKaiser, who's in arbitration right now. (laughs) I mean, the biggest problem for us all season last year was defense. And here we are struggling to create a solid defensive core for our team. And especially if we, for some reason, can't get it together with DeKaiser, who also has come up a couple of times as maybe a choice for alternate captain, you're looking at, you know, possibly a really weak defense going into this year. And that's something that Howard and Mrazek do not need. Why? I know that there was, there's actually a direct quote that came through the free press from Glenn Denning that said, if you'd told me two or three years ago that I'd be sitting here and talking about a four-year extension, I probably would have laughed. I'm excited to have the security of my future for a little bit, but that doesn't mean that you can sit back. You have to keep getting better. Do you think that that's just kind of the theme of the team in general right now with some of these younger guys that are coming up through the ranks and are coming through to the team? Or is this more of just a bash on himself? I think it's a bash on the younger guys on the team. I think it's kind of in the middle of what you just said. You have players like Larkin who weren't even born the last time the Red Wings missed the playoffs. This entire team, whether we like to harp on it or not, I mean, this entire team has this weight of don't miss the playoffs, don't miss the playoffs, don't miss the playoffs. That should not be the goal. The goal should be bring Stanley home. Like Al misses Stanley. I do not (laughs) like seeing him in Pittsburgh. Trust me. Maybe some personal issues there, but I don't like seeing 
one of our biggest rivals take home the greatest trophy in all of sports. And I know that these guys don't like it either. I think the younger guys on the team, the Glendennings, the Larkins, the DeKaisers, they want to do exactly what Datsuk, Zetterberg, and Cronwell all did, which was win a cup. That is what Detroit does. We haven't done it in a while. We're losing out to teams that we can't stand like Pittsburgh and Chicago. That's not okay. So I think all of these younger guys, what they want to do is they want to do exactly what all of the fans want them to do, which is rebuild this team, make it a team that will win and win back to back again. Because the last team to do that in hockey was us. Oh, yeah. So there's that. So all of those factors combined... I didn't realize that mid-July was really the time for NHL power rankings, but apparently for ESPN it is. I was completely unaware, but I was glad to see them come out this week until I saw our Red Wings put at number 19, which, oh, by the way, was five spots lower than their final regular season ranking in the 2015-16 season. So with all the factors that we've talked about, Crystal, what do you think is the biggest for why ESPN and evidently the national media would put the Red Wings so low? Well, I'm just as shocked as you were that ESPN talked about the power rankings in July. But I'm also shocked that ESPN talked about them at all because that is not their forte. And anytime that they're talking about hockey, you're lucky. Now, the reason the Red Wings are down all the way at 19, and remember, only in the top 16 and final standings will make playoffs. I think a lot of it had to do with Stammer Watch. The fact that so many teams were under the impression mm-hmm. that Stamkos mm-hmm. was going to leave and who was going to be the lucky child to get the golden ticket of Stamkos. <gasps> Tampa Bay. Thank you, Stevie, for doing something so incredibly well that everybody hates you for it. Wah, wah. Now, we aren't the only ones that have suffered in that. A lot of other teams were hoping that they were going to get them. They also didn't. So obviously, Tampa Bay being number one is not surprising. What is surprising is a couple other ones is Florida. They are adding a lot to their line, though, including one of our old players, Riley Smith. But then you have the teams that we just saw, Pittsburgh, San Jose, Washington, Chicago, all of these teams that were in the finals and in playoffs. Nothing is too surprising here, but us being down that low, a lot of people always pick on the Red Wings anyway. And I'm not trying to sound like a crybaby Red Wings fan, but they do. They do because we're where older players go to retire. We need to break that stigma and we need to say, no, where were the younger players shine? When I was in Pennsylvania, the one thing that I heard was how jealous hockey teams or hockey fans, I'm sorry, were of our farm team and our farm system. They were so jealous of what we had in Grand Rapids. We need to use what we have in Grand Rapids instead of having players down there for four, five, six years. That's not where they belong. That is where they wait in the wings, no pun intended, to come (laughs) up to Detroit. Exactly. We need to use them. And when we need to use them is when we're looking at power rankings like this. How can we get from this number 19 behind the New York Islanders to the Buffalo Sabres? I mean, you're preaching to the choir here because I spent three years in Arizona where we have the Arizona, now the Phoenix Coyotes. Okay, Phoenix, now Arizona Coyotes. Yes, excuse me. See, hockey fans coming through. The bottom line is I understand where people view Detroit outside of Detroit. I want to see these power rankings. I want to see these opportunities for move, light a fire under the ass of the Red Wings to prove to people once again that we have what it takes. Do you think that we have what it takes as of today, Crystal Holloman? I do. That's all we I do, say. because if I look at this and I see this cute little number 19, which is a great number, by the way, <laughs> highlighted underneath Philadelphia, Buffalo and Edmonton, 
Edmonton is where people and players go to just get hurt and never play again. Are you kidding me? We should not be below teams like this. Now, the teams like Tampa and Pittsburgh and San Jose, Washington, yeah, okay, they're great. They've got great players. they got great leadership. Those ones I understand. Being underneath teams like Edmonton and Buffalo and Philly, I, I can't. Chris, white girl can't. White girl cannot. White girl simply cannot. Do you know what white girl can do? White girl can bring the heat in the bedroom, which is why <laughs> we are going to take a very, very, very quick break. And we are going to come back and answer your sex and dating questions with my self-proclaimed sexpert, Crystal Holloman. We'll be right back. are back with the First Lady Podcast. I'm Jenna Jones. She is Crystal Holloman. And Crystal, we teased it a little bit in the beginning. No pun intended with the tease. <laughs> Tell me what you are doing with Thrillist right now, because I think this is so cool. So what I'm doing with Thrillist is um, basically I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone. I've been hockey focused for at least the last five years, going on about seven. And I decided to go forward with this application that a very dear friend of mine sent me for a freelance sex and dating writer for Thrillist. And if you don't know what Thrillist is, it's all over your newsfeed on Facebook. It's much like BuzzFeed where they share a lot of stories, a lot of top tens, a lot of best of, that kind of thing. It's primarily directed towards men. I sent in my application as an absolute joke. Really? A joke. My actual application, I wish I had it here for you to read. I talked about how awful I am at both sex and dating. Yes. (laughs) And how it is literally the running joke in my friend's circle and that I, I'm just, I'm awful at it. And every time I bring something up to my friends about my sex life or dating, they're just like, you should write a book. And I'm like, about how horrible I am? They're like, no, you have good ideas. You have good concepts. Just, you got to get it out there. It so out there. when it came to Thrillist, I'm like, you know what? That might be, that might be a good platform. So that's coming up soon. Um, I will be sharing my articles on Twitter shortly so you can find me that way and read them and enjoy and learn a little bit. So you and I were talking once I found out that you actually had this opportunity with Thrillist and we were kind of going back and forth with ideas of things that we could talk about during this segment. And I asked you if you had to sum up in like a two minute verbiage. <laughs> How would you describe your worst date? Because I know that there are guys out there based on what I'm seeing on social media and friends of mine that want to have the perfect first date and they're trying so hard and it just goes so terrible. So steer our audience in the right direction. What don't you do on a date? What is your worst date? My worst date is kind of weird because it was so long ago. I was, I think, 17 and he was 19. Okay. And we met at a hockey game. Go figure. Um, <laughs> he was like a student coach for my best friend's son's or my best friend's brother's, I'm sorry, hockey team. And her mom hooked us up. Okay. Oh, he's cute. He's nice. He has a car. He has a job. All the things that your mom wants your boyfriend have. We went to Frankenmuth for Snowfest. And if you don't know what Snowfest is, Google it and be sorry. Um <laughs> Basically, we were going to go to dinner for their famous fried chicken and look at all these amazing snow sculptures. And it was going to be so nice and cute. And uh, no, Uh, we went to dinner and this poor little Bavarian waitress was carrying a tray of, I'm not kidding you, 30 to 40 ice cream sundaes. Oh, no. Those big oval trays. And something happened. And she dropped everything. And my date stood up and clapped. No, he (laughs) did not. He did. 
he stood up almost on top of his chair and clapped. And I was almost as embarrassed for myself as I was for her. Oh, sure. I felt horrible. So we go and we oh, we just get out of there. I did not want chicken at that point. I wanted to just leave Day's everybody over. that saw me with this guy that would do this. And we're walking around looking at these awful snow sculptures. And I'm ready to go home. Oh, I want definitely. to go home. He is driving home. I live kind of off the beaten path. And there's no highway to get there directly. So we were taking back roads. This is in January in Michigan. We are driving and he is behind a snow plow, a snow truck. You guys in snow. And he speeds around it and past it. And I was actually terrified for my life. Okay, so, so far we've learned don't <laughs> clap for the poor waitress and don't be a speeding jerk. No, absolutely not. Unless, I mean, if she asks for that. Okay. Go okay. ahead. But I mean, do not endanger my life. Do not embarrass me. Do not endanger my life are pretty good concepts to go with. Like, make sure you don't do those things. That's a pretty solid foundation. So guys, yeah. take note. Okay. Worst states don't do these things. Uh, for myself personally, I'll keep mine super short and sweet. I was seeing this guy for probably about a month. We went on a few dates. I'm really into this guy. I was so bold as to call my mother and say, I am going to marry this man one day. He's family-oriented. He's charming. He's attractive. He likes sports. He's very muscular. He's rugged. He's outdoorsy. He loves Jesus. I'm going to marry this man. Watch me, mom. And the next day, we went out on a date, and we decided to go bowling. We're having a great time. All of his friends are there. And all of a sudden, like a movie scene, this woman is walking towards me very briskly, very intently, very much motivated, grabs my man out of my arms and says, who the hell is she? More importantly, excuse me, ma'am, who are you? I'm his girlfriend. Who are you? Okay. You know what, honey? I'm seeing what's happening here. You can have them. Have a nice day. So long story short, that was where the two of them had a bowling league that they per participated in he on a weekly basis. And he took me to where he and his girlfriend had a bowling league together. If you're going to cheat on somebody and you're going to be that stupid, at least try to step your game up a little bit and get a little more creative on your date ideas. So that's my tip to you, fellas. If you're going to go ahead and be crazy, be crazy. I've actually uh, got an interesting question here that I want to ask you, Crystal, because I know that you're going to have lots of fodder that you're going to be looking for as you're writing these articles. And I'm going to keep the guy anonymous, but this question was a little bit interesting to me because he's a married man. Okay. Happily in love with his wife. They have a very open and honest relationship, but he has said that she's been hinting towards having a threesome. And it's something that it's fun to talk about. He says it's a little bit of a turn on, but he's not sure how actually interested she'd be should the time come. So he wants to know how should he continue to bring it up in a healthy way with his wife, as well as how do you think that he should go ahead and then try to initiate something like that? And this is coming from not you as a sex therapist or anything, <laughs> but you as a human being, Crystal, how do you think he should handle a situation like this? The very first thing is find out if she's only hinting. Okay. Find out if she is serious. If she is serious, then you have to find out, okay, do you want to bring in another female or do you want another male? Because that question leaves it very open-ended for me. If you do want to bring in a, a third person, whether it's a male or female, my one, one idea for you, my one tip for you, make sure it is not a friend or family member. Sure. Make sure this is somebody that you will never talk to again. And if you do feel like it's something that you could keep going with, then perhaps you can contact them again. But if it's something that's going to go bad and go wrong, 
you want to make sure that you're not going to run into them at your local Starbucks. I think that another huge question that comes into play is, you know, do you already struggle with jealousy issues? Do you struggle with insecurities? I think that's a risky move when you bring in another person into a well-established relationship because there have been instances where I have known friends of mine who have been in marriages and committed relationships where everything is great and then you bring in this extra element of surprise and things just fall apart unexpectedly because it is a completely different sexual relationship at this point. So I would say, number one, take a look at your relationship. Make sure you have a sturdy foundation personally. And number two, and maybe even the most important part is open communication and honesty throughout the whole process with your partner, with yourself, and then with your third partner that you're potentially going to bring in clear expectations as to what's allowed, what's not allowed, what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with. And are we ever going to see or talk to this person ever again? Like you just said, I think Mm -hmm. that's super, super important. You know, if you'd like to go ahead and call in, you can do so on this hotline, but I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up pretty quickly because Crystal, I'm really excited to go ahead and read this article from you. Where are people going to be able to find your stuff online? Well, we've always interacted a lot on Twitter. So if you're following Jenna or the show, you can find me in all of our interactions. But Twitter is just my name, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E-H-O-L-L-E-M-A-N. That's where I will find everything. I'll put everything out there on Twitter, all of my Thrillist websites, all of my thoughts on the Red Wings. All of that can easily be found on Twitter. And then Thrillist as well. Where will where will people be able to read your stuff there as far as Thrillist social media? Do you know that? Just Thrillist. Just like it sounds, Thrillist.com, same thing on Twitter, Facebook, all of that. It'll be under the sex and dating section in Thrillist, which there's a lot of sections, so you might have to dig for it. That's all right. So when when roughly of a time frame should we start to see your articles pop out? Within the next week. Okay. Yep. I'll have it done. Um, I'm working at hockey camp this week, next week, so I'll have it done by the time I'm out there. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. I want to get out of here because I want to watch the opening to this three-game series <laughs> against the Kansas City Royals here in Detroit with our Tigers. And I'm so glad that you found us. Thank you so much for listening. And just in case you didn't know, our show is available on iTunes, Podbay, Podomatic, Stitcher, via Detroit Sports Nation, and of course at DetroitSportsPodcast.com. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of ours or any of the other podcasts that are released seven days a week. We'll see you soon, Detroit.